football frenzy. The football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. Twin Peaks on a Monday. Frenzy time. Willie's here. It's Cofield. Let's bounce around a little college football. Some NFL. We got all the NFL games beyond. The Raiders lost yesterday. The Chargers to hit. Let's do it. I was thrilled with what happened on Saturday because it happens every year. And yet, August is like Groundhog's Day. Every freaking season before the season, you've got a ton of jabronis on social media and sports radio who were like, eh. Same teams win every year in college football. Like, there is no competition during the year. No one can be upset. Early in the season, oh, these matchups suck. They're kids. We see upsets happen in the NFL. With the kids, week to week, you never freaking know. And that's why Notre Dame can be competitive with Ohio State and then have a complete letdown the next week against Marshall. And now panic is set in. And it'll be interesting to, to see what happens with Cal. I just watched Cal up close against UNLV. Yeah. We'll break down the Rebels game, the Rebels loss. In a little bit, it'll be interesting to see what Cal does against Notre Dame because I think you know now a lot of people are assuming Notre Dame stinks. Cal's going to hang with them. We'll see. But, yeah, betting on top 25 games over the weekend. Bama, bear, I thought no one could beat Alabama. No one can compete with Alabama. Greatest team we've ever seen. Texas took them to the freaking brink. I'll call him a backup quarterback. He really isn't, you know, because Quinn Ewers is now down for a while. Mm-hmm. But Hudson Card came in, was fine. Texas hung with Alabama. Alabama wins. Texas a- A&M got upset at home outright by App State, right? Yep. Greatest recruiting classes the last couple of years, as Saban said, because they were buying them. Upset at home by App State. Damn, Jimbo. Wazoo goes to Wisconsin. The Pansy Pac-12 somehow against the big physical Badgers competed. And then we saw, you know, the messy games around the Mountain West Conference. It was a, I thought it was a really good weekend for college football. And, again, a reminder to fans out there, and, and bettors know this, mm-hmm. these things are impossible to bet on because you don't know week to week how kids are going to react to adversity or when they have good weeks, can they string together four or five good games. The best teams generally can. But even those teams have weeks where they're, they're in a lull. Yeah, I, you know, and I, I ghost wrote a couple of, uh, like, wise guy pieces. Just got a feel for it. Like, the public was pounding Alabama. Like, Alabama is like the, you know, the, the public, you know, whatever the public team is now in, in, in the NFL. Um, Alabama is it. It's definitely not the Patriots anymore. Yeah. But – so, There's the Bama tax in college so, football. So where the betting groups are looking at more so with them is first half plays. But even that wasn't. So, I mean, but when you hear, here's the thing, whether the wise guys are pounding it or not, if, if you have a team like that laying that heavy and the public's pounding it, it's usually a sign to go the opposite direction. So I, I do know that the Sharps had a good day on Sunday. Uh, it's so hard to determine what took place betting-wise, Sharps versus Public versus the Books on a Saturday, just because there's so much action. And then you got the added games, right? And that's where they actually, a lot of the Sharps, they, they, they thrive with those little schools and the totals because yeah. nobody's paying attention to that. So I think Brad Powers, because uh, 
I'm on his uh, his mail list, and yeah. you know Brad's our college football guy and very good on really all sports. Yeah, but uh, I think he, I think he had like 17 FCS versus FCS games, not just FBS against FCS. He had a lot of FCS games. So yeah, when those numbers get posted, the sharps are freaking salivating. Yeah, well, that's what. I'm sorry. That's where the sharks are circling. Crunch, crunch. Patriots. Oh boy. Oh boy. Mac Jones didn't look comfortable. Who's coordinating the offense? And they couldn't keep up with the speed of the Dolphins. It wasn't like the Dolphins were awesome, but all Tua has to do is short pitch and catch and let those guys go. They had a long touchdown by Jalen Waddle, and all of a sudden now the Dolphins have started to dominate this rivalry. They've won four matchups in a row against the Patriots, which I think is more of a sign about the Pats and where the Pats are right now than the Dolphins. And, you know, I hate to say it, but, I mean, I'm not saying I said it, but we said it, meaning the local media in that game against the Raiders because the first four series were against the starting defense, and it was the backups, and then on the other side of it. So, I mean, we saw the Patriots starting units – Offense and defense get dominated by Raiders second and third stringer. So I wasn't necessarily surprised. Uh, necessarily surprised. A sharp play move on Miami made this. This was that. Would they? They were looking at that game. So I, I really wasn't surprised at all. And I say this honestly, not just that they won, but that they won the way that they did because, like you said, they've been dominating it. We talked about uh, division predictions last week, and and I said I don't even have the Patriots near the top. I. Miami's going to you know, come in second, but it'll be Buffalo, obviously, but you have to have them penciled in, I think. But Miami is going to be right there. So I'm not necessarily that shocked. Most regular season wins for a quarterback against the Patriots with Belichick as head coach. Peyton Manning, five times. Big Ben, four times. I mean, you're talking about all-timers there. And then another all-timer, Tua, four wins. Tua has beaten him four times. He's tied Big Ben. It's one behind Peyton Manning. Well, we can talk about Tua, but let, let me just read this to you. Interception, punt, fumble, punt, end of half, touchdown, punt, downs, fumble. There's your Patriots possession chart. I mean, they escaped the, the, They escaped with one possession going at halftime and one that they scored a touchdown. The rest of them, not good at all. <laughs> Did you think Tom Brady was good? I thought Tom Brady was Tom Brady. I thought he was poised. I don't think he was. I mean, I, I know who I thought the best quarterback. Uh, well, I'm going to wrestle with that one. But I thought he, you know, I thought I thought he came out and did what he needed to do without going overboard a little bit. I think that they they were in control. I thought he looked great. Yeah, that's a guy who took 11 days off. We were just talking about sharpness. You know, not playing in the preseason. Some of these quarterbacks could do it. Others, you know, Carr on the line didn't look super sharp. I thought Brady looked awesome. Now they've lost a weapon, Chris Godwin. Mm-hmm. Now they've got more because Julio Jones can still play. Mike Evans looked like Mike Evans. But all that stuff about the interior of the offensive line, you know, from left guard over to right guard, including the center, mm-hmm. about all the changes, they did a pretty good job of protecting Brady, and Brady gets the ball out quickly. The biggest thing for me the Bucks running game was really good. Remember all the stuff at the beginning of August? Right? 
with yes. Len Fournette and how fat he was and out of shape, mm-hmm. he looked fine. He looked. He actually looked really good. So they run block well, and then don't ever forget about how good the Buccaneers' defense is. When healthy, they've got game changers all over the field, and they were all over. And we're going to get to the Cowboys' struggles, but they were all over that Cowboys' offensive line. What I thought that we saw from Tom Brady, when you see say excellent and I say he was Tom Brady, was what I thought we saw was a veteran managing the clock, managing the unit. He was a, he was a manager yesterday. Yeah. 18 to 27, 212 yard, 212 yards, one touchdown, one interception, only an 87.3 rating, but he was effective in getting plenty of guys involved. I mean, he targeted eight guys. He completed to seven of them. What the were they eight. on? What were they on third down, Willie? Because they third were down. on the doorstep. You know, within scoring range, yeah, a ton of times. Five of fourteen for thirty-six percent. Just, just a little worse than the Chargers, who were six of fourteen. Yeah. So as of as of today, Tampa Bay is nineteenth in the tie for eighteenth with the Bears, thirty-five point seven percent third down conversions. Yeah, dominant on the yards per play, five point six to three point eight. I thought the Bucks looked really good, and if they can run the ball yeah. and defend like that, they're they're in great shape. We know Brady can make plays, and he's got a good receiving core and Brady I guess is really dealing with something here because uh Melissa Stark was kind of dancing around the question about hey how glad are you to be back what about the 11 day layoff without being over the top and obnoxious there is apparently something going on with Punchin. Yeah. was she not at the game yesterday she wasn't she, she uh, wasn't at the game no she didn't go see her husband play an NFL game in what could be his last year no. the wife didn't show up well no, excuse what me. is going on no 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 she she was in attendance for his last season. He reneged on it. You see, he she was there last year for him. Well, people change their minds. Yeah, well, you know. And there's an expiration date on NFL players. Well, she, she could be a model until there, she's like eight. I got, I got, I got news for you. There may be an expiration date on their marriage. So, by the way, she didn't show up to the game, but she she sent out a tweet of support. She sent out a tweet of what support, but she also post she also posted like some some I believe it was a wedding congrats. She posted something on Instagram and used a picture of those two at a wedding to oh I, I, I don't God. I don't know. I, I I tried not to get into clicking of, you know, I mean, now we're clicking on wives social medias and yet we're the same people that will say, "Wives, get off social media." So I don't want to get into, you know what I'm saying? Like throughout the year all of a sudden we're going to start talking about how somebody's wife is going after somebody and so the point is, but she did tweet out Let's go at Tom Brady. Let's go Bucks. prior to the first snap, but she was not in attendance. And you know what? Um, I, I know we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but I, I'm not going to sit here and, and ride the guy when, when his marriage could be on the rocks. It's just not right. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Both fan bases to their feet. Straight eye behind Herbert. 9.38 to go in the quarter. Snap. They're passing again. Play action. Into the end zone. Touchdown, Chargers. Herbert found a wide open. Xander Horvath, the fullback, out of the backfield. He snuck out there. Nobody was there. And the Chargers take a 9-3 lead. You're listening to Cofield and Company, live at Twin Peaks. Wait a second. What position was that? A fullback? Yeah, the Chargers got a uh, a big dude, a couple of big dudes actually in the draft. And Horvath was a guy that I was kind of interested in watching the draft. I'm like, okay, they're trying to beef up their backfield a little bit, maybe short yardage 
situations become a little easier for the Chargers. Let's get into that, the game. Also talk a little uh, San Fran and Bears. Lorenzo Neal played in the NFL and, of course, uh, well-known for being with the Chargers as a fullback. Lorenzo, how are you? It's Steve and Willie here in Vegas. Steve, Willie, I'm doing great, man. I love our belt. Bowler up, hammer down. Love that kid. Talk a little fullback flag. Call a little, we call that K-5. So looks like you're running a power play and it's easy to linebacker. He thinks you're going to block him. You slip out in the flat. I love that play. It's to make, make my money doing that one. So what do you think of my comment that when the Chargers went big in the draft, I was thinking, you know, one of the things they didn't do well last year in key moments, trying to run clock, you know, third and two, short fourth downs, was run up the gut because Eckler was a little too small. And I, I wonder how much they're going to mix in bigger backs like Sony Michelle as well. Yeah, they're going to have to do that. I watched that game yesterday, and I said, okay, what is the two things that I took away from that game? One, I look at the Raiders, and I say, the Raiders are a good team. You look at the Raiders last year in the playoffs, had a great opportunity to beat the Cincinnati Bengals, a team that went on to go to the Super Bowl. So the Raiders aren't far off. I looked at it, though, and I said, what can the Chargers do if they're going to get there, if they're going to be a team that everyone thinks is going to challenge Buffalo and Kansas City, and that's be able to run the ball, and that's be able to stop the run. And yesterday, I know it was the first game of the season, I didn't think that they stopped the run well. I thought they had some signs, but still looked like they got to get stronger against the run, and they got to run the ball. they got to be a lot more physical, especially in November and December. You guys know how the weather gets later. Lorenzo, and, you know, in the way that the game was going, you have to wonder. I mean, I, I'm not saying they don't have the killer instinct. It's week one. Obviously, they came out guns a-blazing. I mean, Joey Bosa and, and Khalil Mack looked tremendous, but – the way that they allowed Las Vegas to sort of get back into it when they completely were outplayed, is that troubling or is that expected uh, in terms of what Las Vegas did, knowing they were going to sort of fight and claw to stay in it? Well, you got to look at the National Football League. You know Las Vegas Vaders, they're not going anywhere. They're going to be a team that's going to be standing in the last couple of weeks, and it's going to be they get in, they can cause problems, and they can cause – any given Sunday, they can beat anybody on their schedule. This Vegas team, look, yeah, they got to sure up that offensive line. We get that. You know, the cornerback position was suspect, but looked like Hopkins played pretty well, got a pretty good corner. So you look at the Raiders and say, yes, they can get better. We understand that, especially offensively, maybe a little bit on defense, but they're still a team. You saw it. They can score points. They got one of the best receivers, arguably one of the best receivers in the league. We're from Fresno State. That's right, yours truly. So the Raiders do have talent. But, yes, to answer your question, the Chargers do need to find a way to knock people out. You saw it last year. You saw it again early this year, the first game of the season. And, yes, it's early. But they do need to find a way to keep the ball away. Don't turn the ball over at the end of the game. Be able to run the ball, run the clock out. They just don't have that down yet. And I think that's going to be something they're going to work on. Were you surprised that Herbert was so sharp with his receivers after not playing the preseason? And a lot of these guys, several of them, are new players on the roster? No, when you look at Herbert, guys, I mean, everyone's been talking about this kid as, you know, arguably is going to be one of the going to be up for MVP of the year. You see what he can do. He's, he's a talent. He's big. He's strong. He's more mobile than what people give him credit for. And you guys see the guy, once he gets outside of the pocket, he's a double threat. Double threat. He can run or pass, and it puts so much pressure on the defense. That touchdown pass he threw in the second quarter, I think, in the third, where he slides over to the left and rushes in his face. He's able to slide over to the left and buy a little time, throw a back shoulder pass, which great, only the receiver can catch it, and he backpedaled into the end zone. That's a big-time play, and that's from a big-time player. So, no, Herbert doesn't surprise me anything he does. Yeah, I thought that was one of the plays of the game, one of the plays of the weekend 
for uh, you know a guy in Gerald Everett who's new to the team for them to have enough you know communication and uh, and the the uh, I guess the, the look at each other basically like as soon as he starts rolling left Everett's like let me go to the end zone back shoulder throw Everett spins and and gets in there um, let's talk about the Chargers defense and what they've got on the edge now Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa were just ridiculous what do you expect teams to do to try and counter that so that these guys aren't coming with uh, ears pinned back because yesterday. What was the final number, Willie? They combined for uh, was it sixteen quarterback hurries and like ten quarterback hits? It was it was crazy the production from both of those guys, Lorenzo. Yeah, no question. You got two guys, and that's one thing about it. When you have two speed rushers and two outside pass rushers that are dominant, the Chargers may have two of the best. You got to be able to step up and climb up in the park. And I think the old ageless wonder does that better than every quarterback in the league, and that's Tom Brady. Knowing that when you guys got guys that are going to speed rush you. Quarterbacks want to take those little steps, not overstride, not climb too far with the pocket, but just a hair, just to step out of harm's way. And if you aren't solid in the middle at that guard center, at the guard and center position, you're going to have problems, especially with quarterbacks that like to step up in the pocket when you're going against pass rushers. So when you look at the Chargers, they got two elite pass rushers, but they got to get stronger in the middle because what teams are going to try to do, they're going to try to win on first and second down. That means run at Cleo Mack, run at Joey Bosa, run at those guys, make them play first, second, and third down. And then on third and two and third and three or something or shorter, now you can have the option to run and pass, and now the quarterback can get the ball out of his hands quick. That's what teams are going to do. One, two, three, get the ball out of their hands quick, and now those pass rushers are non void. Speaking of former Chargers, Fullback Lorenzo Neal, current host, 95.7 The Game in Frisco, here on ESPN 1100 in Las Vegas, Cofield and Company. So, Lorenzo, let me ask you this. Those numbers that Steve was uh, uh, talking about per next-gen stats, four-and-a-half sacks, 16 quarterback pressures, 10 quarterback hits, two quarterback, uh, 10 quarterback hits, and two that caused turnovers. It was against the Raiders offensive line that, well, it was a big talk during the training camp, and obviously it's not yet in sync. Short week, now they got to go go up against an offense that, oh, hey, Patrick Mahomes looked pretty darn good yesterday. Kansas City Chiefs on Thursday. Yeah, that's going to be a game. That's, gonna be, that's why it's going to be a doozy, and I think that's why they put it on the Thursday night game. I think these two teams may be fighting for, you know, the AFC West, you know, the fighting to get in there, who's going to be the team of the AFC West. I, I don't count any of these teams out, guys. Even though the Las Vegas Raiders lost this game yesterday, they played against a good team. And when you're talking about Kansas City and the Chargers, you say, okay, are the Chargers for real? Are they good enough to beat Kansas City? The question is, can Kansas City get after the quarterback? Does Kansas City have the same deficiencies as the Chargers? Unable, inability to run the ball with consistency. Inability to get off the field. Their defense gives up one of the worst run defenses in the league, too. So you look at Kansas City, these two teams are a mirror of each other. It's going to come down to me, the team that has the ball last. This, this, this Charger team in, in Kansas City, I think these two great quarterbacks, and it's going to be a, it's going to be a firebomb. Let's bounce around the NFL a little bit. You're very familiar with the Niners. I can only imagine what Niners fans are thinking after seeing Trey Lance kind of play so-so. The weather conditions were just horrible for him especially, and they wound up squandering a lead to a, a team a lot of people think is going to be a three- or four-win team in the Bears. Yeah, a lot of people think that, but you know what I think when you look at the weather, you take weather in consideration and say, okay, and everyone's like, oh, my God, Jimmy G should have been starting. What could Jimmy G, third and 13, third and 50, third and five, third and eight, you do a quarterback draw and picks up 13 yards, you watch Lance, you see what he did as far as being able to move the pocket and do certain things. He did not lose that football game, and a lot of people were like, oh, my God, well, no, 
you look at the you look at the Niners, you say, what has been their Achilles heel? You think about when they play against Arizona Cardinals. Look at the quarterback, mobile, can get out of the way, can make things happen. They they swept the Niners two years ago. They beat the Niners, go head to head with them. You look no further when Seattle, when Russell Wilson's at his best. You look at Seattle and the Niners, a mobile quarterback. Because they're so relentless with the pass rush, they create running lanes for quarterbacks that are mobile. So you saw yesterday, Bills had two broken plays. You take that away with seven minutes left in the third quarter. The, the Niners are up by 10 points, and he scrambles. Should have been sacked by Armstead. He scrambles and hits a wide-open pedestal. So it wasn't the, it, it wasn't necessarily Bills outplayed the young uh, outplayed quarterback. It was just defense broke down. And I'm going to tell you, the game, the biggest thing what lost that game, guys, is penalties. You're talking about 99 yards in penalties compared to 28. That's a difference of 70-some yards in, the, in hitting yards. That, you can't win in the National Football League if you lose the turnover battle and if you're penalized, self-inflicted wounds, those penalties kept drives going for the Chicago Bears, and that's one of the main reasons that they lost that game uh, yesterday. Niners have Seahawks at Broncos, Rams coming up. If they're... One and three. Hell, if they're zero and four. But if they're one and three, will Shanahan and Lynch be so patient with Trey Lance, or does Jimmy G get a chance? Well, with me, I think that you can go back to Jimmy G if you want with that offensive line, and with the and with, with Mitchell just Mitchell getting hurt. You know, you lost your life with Mitchell, your running back. I don't think that's necessarily the answer because you look at Jimmy; he's more statuesque in the pocket than than, than Trey Lance. If you look at Jimmy G when he's in trouble. Jimmy G has thrown the known to throw the ball away or throw an interception. The reason why the Niners have been good as they've been the last several years, guys, is because they were the most physical and the most best dominant running team in the National Football League. Right now, they're not that team. They got to get better up front on the offensive line. They got to think about bringing in another running back for the next couple weeks. Because right now, the San Francisco 49ers need to be thinking about that offensive line and getting that run game going for play action and that pass game can go. Did you get a chance to watch Sunday Night Football with the uh, Bucks and the Cowboys? Come on, I love Tom Brady. You've been knowing Tommy for years. you got to realize, him and Maureen Brady, she went to Fresno State, played softball. I was there, so I knew Tom before he became Tom Magnificent, guys. So, yes, absolutely watching that old man play is just an ageless wonder. But just watching Dallas Cowboys. I thought the Dallas Cowboys, watching them last week, went up to training camp down there in L.A. and thought that they were going to be a little bit more dominant offense, kind of thought that this was going to be the year for the Cowboys. And, yes, it's still early, but even before uh, that, that got hurt, wasn't necessarily throwing the ball well. Wasn't necessarily getting the time that he needed. So they're, 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 this, this is a talented team. Very disappointed. I know the Cowboys are very disappointed in the way that their first game started off. Is it a talented team at wide receiver when you know they let Cooper walk, Gallup's not back, Cedric Wilson's gone? I just I wonder how much a quarterback can do. Like we saw Mahomes. He can make receivers. Now, those guys are accomplished receivers, too, that they brought in. I just wonder if the Cowboys just set themselves up just too thin at wide receiver beyond C.D. Lamb. Yeah, yeah, you have to look at that and say that might be a concern because you look no further than uh, what you don't hear people talking about. Do you bench Aaron Rodgers? He hit a receiver right in his hands, would have tied the game up early in the first quarter the next series, and then you saw him from then, it was just over. The cell just went out of him and just like, God, this guy's trying to create and do so many things. And at 36, 37 years old, he can no longer move and get out of trouble and do the things that he used to do with his legs. So you look at that team, you look at a lot of teams out there. Yes, I think the Dallas Cowboys let too many receivers necessarily get out the door, but they still got CeeDee Lamb. And the biggest thing, Dallas Cowboys is known for its running. 
they got to get Zeke and a two-headed monster going and run the ball and be physical and try to win on defense and field position. So it's going to be interesting, guys. It's the first week. Man, I can't wait for this week because I tell you, it's going to start to settle and we're going to see things start to see who who's what. A lot of people are panicking. I think right now you just got to hold there and just like, look, wait a couple weeks, let the dust clear. You'll see the start teams that's going to start rising out. But one week, it's too hard to judge who's who. Once again, Lorenzo Neal, former Chargers fullback. Lorenzo, I want to keep it right there with Dallas. Cooper Rush won a game, filling in for injured uh, for when Prescott was injured last season, helped keep the Cowboys on track. He's going to win. He's going to need to win a bit more this season. Can he do it? Uh, both. I think I think he can do it. But the biggest thing is going to be, guys, can they protect him? And not only protect him, see when when, when a guy when a starter goes down. What happens is everyone thinks, okay, now the backup's got to go out and just be dominant. No. The backup has to come in and be consistent. And you can't say, go win me games. The backup is brought in to back up and be a placeholder, but he's got to make sure that he has weapons and things around him. And when you're the Dallas Cowboys, you're paying Zeke, one of the highest paid running backs in the league. You've got that offensive line. You've got to be able to run the ball, guys. You've got to be able to create a new line of scrimmage. You've got to be physical. Especially if you're going to go with a backup quarterback, you don't want him in third and 10 and third and 12 because I'm telling you what, then it gets really scary. Then you got chance for more turnovers. So Dallas Cowboys, if they're going to go and hold this down for some weeks and can this guy give the young guy some time to be successful, you've got to be able to run the ball. You can't play, you can't turn the ball over, and you got to rely on your defense. So Dallas Cowboys, look for those guys to put on their big boy pads and start running the ball back in the day like they had Emmitt and, and, our, and our boy Moose Johnson. Lorenzo, before we let you go, we appreciate the time. Tell people about your uh, Believe in Chargers podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Believe in the Chargers podcast, man. It's great. I got Barna and Sarius, my, my, my co-host. We have a great time. We talk about the Chargers. We talk about the matchups. It's just a lot of fun, man. It's a lot because you get to be who you are. So check it out, you know, Believe in the Chargers podcast. And uh, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy talks with X and O's. It just gets me fired up, guys. Thank you so much. Have a good week. No worries. Cheers, guys. Do it again. Believe in, oops, sorry. Believe in Chargers podcast. Check that out on the uh, Believe Network. We're going to talk uh, Cal UNLV in about 15 minutes with one of the guys who was on the game with the Pac-12 Network, Guy Haberman. Today's Cofield and Company is presented by Ellis Island Casino, home of 3-2 Blackjack, Craps 10 times odds, and $5 games. You're listening to Cofield and Company, live at Twin Peaks. More on the Cowboys. We were just talking to Lorenzo Neal, the former Chargers fullback. Played with a lot of teams over the years. He did. Doing the Believe in Chargers podcast. But uh, we'll get to the Cowboys a little more in the big five at four. Again, we're out at five o'clock. And then Willie takes over the party here for the two hours after that, up until seven o'clock, a little after first half or halftime is over of the Seahawks and the Broncos. Right now, Seahawks are getting six in that one, so we'll get some picks later on from both Willie and John Von Tobel, who's on at 440 today. Great spot for Monday Night Football. Really, Monday to Friday here is just awesome. Happy hour, 2 to 7, 9 to close. 22-ounce draft, domestic draft, 375. Tons of inexpensive appetizers, and then they're always running different specials, weekly specials, so Cuervo shots tonight, four bucks. House margarita, five. They got a spicy margarita. Excellent spot. Excellent spot to watch football, and especially tonight with Willie. And he's got a ton of prizes, uh, including some tickets to 
UNLV North Texas. UNLV North Texas. Yep, UNLV North Texas. So let's get into some of the El Flapos yesterday in the National Football League because there were a bunch mm. of disappointing efforts. Mm. The Packers lead the way. Like I thought the Vikings could and would win the game. I didn't didn't expect them to handle things as easily as they did. And Rodgers, while talking about patience in this bite, you know, you get the idea. He's looking around, and he's like, all right, I came back for two more years. We worked out all this nonsense with the contract. But, again, I'm looking around, and my receivers, like, this isn't necessarily what I signed up for. Now, people could counter with, you did, because you signed a deal for $50 million a year. The team has to cut somewhere. By the way, Zadaria Smith got a, a good knock on Rodgers with the Vikings now that he's gone from the Packers, another cost-cutting move by the Packers. But he'll mention – Christian Watson, CW here, who had a chance to score 75 yards on a touchdown, but dropped it. CW catches that one, 75-yard touchdown. If I pull the one on the goal line, I walk in for a touchdown. There's 14 points. Let's see, 23-7. Yeah, so we would have been the real football. You know, it counts. It's different. There's nerves. I thought Christian ran a great route to start the game. You know, we talked about it during the week. Do you really want to start off with a bomb shot? I said, yeah, what the hell, why not? You know, this kid can really fly. Let's give him a chance. I was teasing Patrick after the game that we got him. He said, yeah, I wasn't quite warmed up yet. We got to make those plays. I mean, he had a couple catches, I believe, right? Look, we got to have patience with those guys. They're young. You know, they haven't been in the in the fire. Now, that patience will be thinner as the season goes on, but uh, the expectation will be high. So we'll keep them accountable. Too much? Or, hey, you know, he's the boss. He's the leader of the franchise. You don't make catches. He's going to call you out. Um, I, I I sort of – it's the same thing with McDaniels, with, with the Raiders. You know, I, I get it, but I didn't hear anything about he is the leader. He's, he's the face of this franchise. He's the big money guy. There's got to be some accountability. I didn't hear anything about I, I, I have to do a better job of getting in sync. I ran down the possessions – Previously, here, punt, punt, downs, punt, interception. He was sacked four times. All I'm hearing for the past however many hours, 12 hours, is, well, Devontae's gone. Okay, well, Devontae didn't do, I, I mean, he, he was great yesterday, but if he was that big of a deal to the Packers, shouldn't he have made a difference to the Raiders? And if we're ready to blame Carr, are we not blaming Rodgers? So, you know, and I wasn't ready to blame Carr, and I'm not ready to blame Carr, but I'm just saying here's another example of we're going to call guys out, and you're the leader, and I get it, but somewhere you have to say, and it's my job to get get in sync with these guys. Let's talk UNLV and Cal. That was a game the Rebels could have won, mm. frankly should have won, and there's got to be a point where they turn the corner and start winning these games, whether it's against you know bigger Power 5 schools or Mountain West schools. Got to win these games inside of eight points. This has got to end. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. From the Rebel 31, empty backfield. Two men wide right, two men wide left. Plummer back to throw. Pass Odin will complete. And that's Hunter. He's at the 20, at the 15 to the 13-yard line. Hanging at Twin Peaks for Monday Night Football, it's Cofield and Company. Russ Langer on the call there. Learfield, UNLV Network. Rebels fall short, had their chances, lose 20-14 to 14 at Cal. Guy Haberman was on the call. He's very familiar with the Pac-12, Pac-12 Network guy, and familiar with the Cal football team. Guy, how you doing? It's Steve in Vegas. 
Hey, Steve, and very familiar with Russ. Russ and I go way back, so yes. uh, I always love seeing the Rebels because it means I get to see Russ. Russ knows everyone in the Western region. Every time we go on the road, I'm like, okay, <laughs> Russ knows, Russ knows uh, someone here. Um, all right, well, let's talk about this game. First of all, your impression of Cal, and then we'll kind of get into some of the nooks and, and crannies of the game, but what do you think of Cal? Um, you know, I think Cal's got to Cal's got potential, but they've got to figure out their offensive line. Now, part of that, you give credit to UNLV for getting after them. I think Cal is a team that's been looking for more explosiveness in, uh, in, out of its offense over the last several years. Um, Bill Musgrave, who's uh, coordinated some very good offenses, including a, one of Derek Carr's best years in the NFL, I think is a creative guy, but they just have not had all the pieces together um, to make it work. And I think they, they feel, and, and uh, I think rightfully so, that they've got a quarterback that can open the field up for them. They've got some skilled receivers. My headline with Cal is I think their running back, Jay Knott, is going to be one of the next you know fantastic pro prospect running backs to come out of the Pac-12. Um, but, uh, you know, they go to Notre Dame this week, and, and their offensive line, uh, Jack Plummer, their quarterback, got hit a lot. they got to figure that out. Yeah, Ott's a hell of a prospect, and, you know, he's kind of the new-age guy because I think he might be better, uh, you know, catching the ball out of the backfield than he is right now running between the tackles. I mean, he's a complete back. He is. You know, their offensive coordinator, Bill Musgrave, compared him to Philip Lindsay, you probably remember, who played at Colorado and then was in the league, and they were together in Denver and, um, and the thing about Odd is he's not huge. He's a true freshman who was originally verbal uh, committed to Oregon, but um, but can run between the tackles, you know. And they've started to trust him a little bit more if he has to block. But they prefer him if he's going to be back there and he's not carrying the ball to catch the ball. And he had a spectacular touchdown catching the football. So yeah, I mean, I you know this league's had some great running backs. I don't know how great he'll be, but I was doing the game with Shane Vereen, and Shane Vereen was a was a fantastic. Not only college running back, but he was a very good pass catcher, particularly. He had a bunch of catches in the Super Bowl when the Patriots beat the Seahawks, and I can tell he was very impressed with Jay Knott. So that's one for college football fans to watch. Let's talk about the Cal defense, because I thought they did a pretty good job of rattling Doug Brumfield, the UNLV quarterback, in the first half, and then the group of five team actually kind of stuffed it down Cal's throat, the Power 5 team in the second half. I thought the UNLV running game really got it going in that second half, uh, led by Aiden Robbins, and especially on that long 31-yard touchdown run. Yeah, I think he had five carries in the first half and seven in the, in the third quarter alone. And um, You know, it looked like some of Marcus Arroyo's offenses at Oregon. They wanted to pound the rock, and, you know, Nick Holtz is co-OC, um, coach of the NFL. Like, like, these are not guys that are afraid to pound the rock. And when you have a 230-pound back like, uh, like Aiden Robbins, you should. So I think it's clear. I mean, yes, it's power five, group of five. But um, I understand why people, uh, you know better than me, see some optimism in terms of the talent level on this UNLV roster. I called a UNLV game back in 2019, uh, back in 2020, the game uh, they played Wyoming at home. And um, it's clear that this is a more talented roster than that group. They, you know, it took them. It was tough because they couldn't get the Ricky White going early in the game, um, and uh, you know that was unfortunate because obviously he's such a massive part of their offense. But uh, it looked like they were going to take control of that run game, um, or at least give themselves a shot to win the game with the run game, and they did. They did, and that's one of the big questions with Cal's defense. They lost their best interior lineman who is one of the best players in the Pac-12, Brett Johnson, right before the season started, and, and it has showed itself. Guy Haberman, Pac-12 Network, was on the UNLV Cal game over the weekend up in Berkeley. I thought Justin Wilcox coached uh, a really good game in a, in a couple of regards. UNLV's got some question marks at one of their cornerback positions. 
and they went right at both of the guys who played that position, uh, Mendiola Jensen, early too, early on a, on a deep pass where Mendiola Jensen didn't locate the ball, and they, uh, they tried to pick on Hammond Oliver. And I, I also thought late in the game, Doug Brumfield has a ton of upside, but he hasn't played a lot of football. And late in the game, they were like, you know what, we're going to put our islands on a corner. Or, excuse me, our corner's on an island, right, late <laughs> in the game. And we are, just, we are going to send more guys than they can block. And it, it worked. It was a ballsy call yeah. late in the game to put pressure on Brumfield. Yeah, they brought the safety, Daniel Scott, twice on successful plays on third and fourth down. And, um, you know, he had, he had a lot of pressure, uh, a lot of pressure situations, right? Because they went for a lot of fourth downs. And on the road, it, that was the other thing. Is, uh, you know, it wasn't loud the whole game, but it got loud, I think. It did. Yep. It seemed like down on the field late in the game. And so, you know, maybe with him, you moving forward, you. Um, uh, you know, you don't you you, you kind of expect the blitz and account for it in the play call and don't ask him to check at the line of scrimmage in that spot. Or maybe he'll he'll get better at it. I mean, obviously he's not played a lot of football, only three games last year, so that's going to be part of his process. But it does seem like he's got a healthy amount of responsibility at the line of scrimmage. Um, but Justin Wilcox is a fantastic. Coach. I mean, he is a fantastic, fantastic defensive coach. His defensive coordinator as well, Peter Sermon, and they go way back to college. They are very dialed in. Um, on what works for them. And, and you're right. They targeted Mendiola Jensen, number 15. They targeted Cameron Oliver, number five. That was yep. clearly part of their game plan. They did not target Noel Williams, but they ended up a few times throwing at Noel Williams, and he played it pretty well. I, that's what was interesting about the game is both teams had clear number one corner, both teams had a clear number one receiver, and both teams matched those guys up against each other for most of the day. So I was down on the field in the end zone, uh, at the end of the game on that uh, four-series uh, drive, not drive, but uh, the, the four-play series from the eight-yard line. Um, it was loud. Um, I don't think there were 38,000 there, as was reported by Cal, but it got loud, and Brumfield did have trouble with communication. Um, one, I wanted to get your reaction. They ran a play where they had Brumfield roll out to his left, and he almost looked a little confused on who he was going to throw to. Ricky White was covered. Aiden Robbins was wide open, and it was like a knuckler in between them. Yeah, I mean, I, I um, you know, I, I think they there's a lot of potential with them. Clearly, they like him. I think he's in a good spot because I think they've got a good, a really good offensive staff there um, that understands, you know, how to develop a quarterback. But he needs to play. I mean, I, we talk about it all the time with NFL quarterbacks. There is no substitute for that experience. And um, I, he faced a defense that, you know, Calvin won week one, but they were not really satisfied with the way they played on defense. And some of the guys that got kind of exclusive snaps on defense in game one were were uh, were pressured by the coaching staff. They, they went to a little bit more of a rotation at linebacker than they had. And I think what you saw from the Cal defense was some guys playing with a lot of effort because, you know, there were their jobs were on the line. Um, yeah. Against UNLV, so uh, they did a good job when they had to. But I, I think you, you, you know, I, I see a lot of college football. You don't see a lot of guys six five with his skill set and athleticism, but clearly a desire to stay in the pocket. Use that athleticism to find more more receivers downfield. He does not just break out of the pocket and run at the first uh, opportunity. So, um, you know, and, and like I said, I think they've got some weapons there. They just gotta they just gotta dial in a little bit. This week's big for them, North Texas. No uh, doubt. But I know this: if, if UNLV can make it to a bowl, they'll they'll have to win some impressive games. And yeah, they're um, gonna have to they're gonna know, have to pull I, off I some upsets. 
Yeah, I was going to say they have to pull out some say, upsets against the powers in the uh, in the Mountain West Conference. Yeah, I mean, Fresno State, shocker, is going to be good. Uh, we'll see San Diego State. They go to Notre Dame. Air Force looked great this weekend. San Jose State hung in at Notre, at, uh, at Auburn. You yeah. know, so that's trip to Hawaii. Hawaii looks terrible, but that's never an easy trip. Um, thank goodness, I guess the Nevada game's at home, you know, because that, that can definitely be cold. But you're right. It is a very, very difficult schedule. So that I got to ask you about. It's a must win, I think. Uh, I, I actually, yeah, we've been calling for that all off season that they got to get out of the gates two and one. You got to win a home game, and actually, the line flip from North Texas one to UNLV minus three. So it's a game they need to win. But I got to ask you about so the fourth and eight play, uh, Brumfield's looking out to his right. I was down there. I saw the cornerback kind of just discard Kyle Williams off his hip, threw him to the ground. What did you guys see? Because I was I was actually kind of shocked on a play like that that a PI wasn't called. You talking about the, uh, where they both end up laying down in the end zone? Yes. I have I haven't watched it back since we you know we showed the play. Right. Um, so uh, I can't say definitively when both guys end up end up on the ground in the end zone. Uh, I would say you're probably not wrong, right. but um, I, I you know again I'm not I'm not trying to dodge the question. I just I didn't get a great look at it again. Um, that was Lumagia Hearns I think was in coverage. And they've been physical all game long, but um, honestly, I'd have to give it another look. Guy Haberman's with us. So give me the vibe from Northern California on what's going to happen with the Pac-12 with Stanford and Cal and if they're going to hold this whole thing together. Hard to know. I mean, I think everyone's just kind of holding their breath to see what that television deal looks like and if um, the remaining 10 teams in the Pac-12 sign a grant of rights deal. And if so, you know, how long does that deal tie everybody in? Um, you know, it's, I don't think that the Big Ten and Fox are suddenly reevaluating because everyone has told them, you know, it would be a good idea to add a couple more schools. I think they did the math the first time and decided what they wanted to do was what they were going to do. But, you know, I, I don't think anybody has any illusions that there's not the possibility that there's that there's further, further change at some point. The question is, does the Pac-12 put an offer in front of, um, the Bay Area schools in front of Oregon and Washington that is attractive enough to make them sign up, and for how long do they sign up, right? Even if you sign up for, I don't think anyone's doing a 10-year contract, do you sign up for six? Um, and, and you know, what does that what does that look like? But I also think from a Bay Area perspective, Cal and Stanford got to pick it up. Stanford, you know, like, I know being great isn't necessarily what gets you um, invited, if that's what your goal is, but... Being better at football would certainly help. Um, the good news, obviously, those programs, particularly Stanford, I think feels, you know, I think they would argue they, the Big Ten would want us, and, who, you know, who wouldn't want to be associated with Stanford? But right. at the same time, I think there's optimism for the Pac-12. I think there's confidence in George Kleofkov, uh, the commissioner of the league. He's, you know, not a lot of people knew a lot of things about him when he got hired um, from his time in Vegas. And uh, one of the things I learned researching was I found all these interviews that he was doing back in the early 2000s about streaming services long before, you know, Netflix was a thing, right, when YouTube was maybe in its very early infancy. So, I, you know, I think we'll probably see some creativity from that standpoint in the next television contract. Guy, really appreciate it. Great job on the game, and hopefully we get to talk to you about uh, more Pac-12 action later in the season. Yeah, I hope to see. I hope for a trip to Vegas at some point during the season. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, that's so always I nice, sure. <laughs> Thanks, Guy. All right, you got it. There he is, uh, sports voice in Northern California, one of the uh, 
Play-by-play guys for the Pac-12 Network does uh, football, basketball, and much more beyond that. Big Five at Four is on the way. This is the spot tonight for Monday Night Football. Come out. Russell Wilson revenge game against the Seahawks at Twin Peaks on Eastern.